If you're trying to stay focused on getting work done and eating throughout the day is something you think about, have to decide, and you're not sure what to do, and you just wish an option was available where the right meal with all of the specifications you want be available to you, easy to make, under two minutes, well, luckily for you, Factor is available where you have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie. And you can enjoy over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons to help you make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? You can get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking up for something fast that's upscale option done very easily. It's flexible on your schedule where you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep necessary. They're 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup necessary. Head to factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and use code sellingwithlove50 to get 50% off. That's code sellingwithlove50 at factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and you'll get 50% off. Not bad. We go into this black or white thinking. We tend to magnify what's going wrong and we minimize what's working well. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. Jason Campbell here, and welcome to Superhumans at Work. We have a guest today who's going to talk about something that most of you wouldn't even associate with a negative. Most of you might not even think that it is a good thing, and I know I am certainly one of these people. And funny story, before I brought myself to the studio to record this podcast, I was speaking with my partner and telling her that I was having this interview with Petra Kolber, who was actually talking about this idea of perfectionists and how to detox from it. And she took a moment to look at me with intrigue and suddenly said, hmm, that'll be really good for you, Jason. And I'm being judged and I'm feeling, wow, I don't even think this is something that would apply to me. And so Petra wrote the book called The Perfection Detox. It's all about taming your inner critic, live bravely and unleash your joy. And she's a host of The Perfection Detox podcast. She has a background in fitness and really identified the fact that a lot of people, even herself, was striving for perfection and actually held her back and holds a lot of people back from living their greatness when it comes to the workplace. And we're really going to dive into this subject, which is super interesting to me because also someone that is always striving for perfectionism is probably going to learn a lot myself. I know you will as well. So it is my immense pleasure to have Petra here with us. Petra, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's such a treat to be here with you. Petra, this is so interesting because like I mentioned, my partner kind of gave me a little little jab there telling me that this is something I definitely need to hear more about. And I'd love to kick this off with is what is this idea of perfectionism being a bad thing? Well, I think it's like anything, Jason. Perfection is not a bad thing for everybody. It only can become toxic or actually work against you, especially in the workplace, depending on the emotion and the idea that you attach to it. So perfect is only a word. But I kind of ask everybody, when you think of the word being perfect at work, in relationship, with your self-care, does that bring you joy? Or does that suck the joy out of you? So if you're at work and say, you know what, I strive to be perfect at work and, you know, you are still curious, you don't mind making mistakes, you have no problem asking other people for help, then don't change a thing. 
And if you are someone who strives to be perfect at work, but you're terrified of making a mistake, you just refuse to ask anyone for help because that is a reflection that you should know more. The imposter syndrome raises its head. So it's different for every one of us. So I keep coming back to this question over and over again, depending your work life, your personal life, your life and reflection or relationship with yourself. When you think about being perfect, does it add more joy to your life or suck the joy out of you? All right. Well, I can think of times in both cases. And I know you have a very interesting story in your own overcoming this limitation that was in your life when it comes to perfectionism. And I can think of times that I've tried to do something so right that I kind of find myself frozen and not doing anything. And it's kind of this paralysis around this idea. So I'd love for the benefit of everybody listening, maybe share a bit of your story of how you got to the place where you started prescribing the detox for perfectionism. Yeah, I think it's this whole thing. When I first started in the world of fitness, and I was there for 30 years, when I started off, I had no idea. I was not a fitness expert. I wasn't a celebrity. I wasn't known. And then through different situations, I got promoted really quickly within the ranks. I got hired by Reebok. I went around the world. I was on a TV show. I was on VHS tapes, Do Not Judge. I was on the back of a special K-Box. You know, all these accolades. And then I started getting introduced as this fitness expert. So there's that in my present. And then my past was, I remember these dance teachers telling me, you're not smart enough. You're not good enough. So I had these two conflicting stories going in my head. Here I am as this fitness expert. And here are these stories from my past telling me, you're never going to make it. You're not this. You're not that. And so all of a sudden, the gap between who I was and who I thought I should be to be this expert, especially around this idea, I thought I needed to know everything. So my Achilles heel at that point was I thought I needed to be smarter. I thought I needed to know everything. I thought I needed to look a certain way. And all of a sudden, this thing that had been so joyous to me became like a noose around my neck because no one had said to me, Petra, as a celebrity on TV, you have to be perfect. But I took this own internal storytelling and I began to ruminate in my head. And that's when I began to have less joy doing what I wanted to do. And then I coupled that as I move forward in my career, I would look out at thousands of people, men and women who were from the outside looking in, they looked, air quotes, perfect. And they would come up to the end of our time together. And all they would ask me is, how do I get rid of this? How do I improve this? All they could see are their flaws. And that's one between my own past experience and my struggles with perfection that really reared their heads strongly to the mid part of my career. And then also beginning to notice other people. I thought, hey, there's maybe some work to be done here, not about what we look like, but how we feel about ourselves when we're doing our work, our job, or even our workouts. I'm looking forward as we're going to continue down this conversation. We're definitely going to cover on how to diagnose how much of an issue perfectionism is for you and give you some steps on how to overcome that. But I wanted to maybe kick this off on what happens when you actually have a healthy relationship with this perfectionism or you've actually completed a detox. <laughs> so, I mean, there's two schools of thought. Some of the research is saying there's no such thing as healthy perfectionism. I disagree. I think, again, it's it's what feelings do you put or attach or self-worth you attach to it. So the positive is, you know, if you're looking at perfection, it helps you, you know, strive to be excellent, to deliver your best. You're going to triple check your work. You're going to be a diligent worker. You know, if you strive to move towards being your best self, there's nothing wrong in that. But perfectionism can overstep its 
boundaries. If you haven't done the detox and you start second guessing yourself, like your strive, it moves you into a fixed mindset. You know, the work by Carol Dweck. You start seeing challenges as just proof that you're not you're not good enough per se. You start seeing other people's success as more proof of, see, I didn't deserve success. So we see the same outcome from different lenses. So from a healthy lens, you can look at other people and go, gosh, they are doing it so great. What can I learn from them? How can I use them as not as healthy competition and see what they're doing well and and learn from that versus judging ourselves from what other people are doing? So before you've done a detox, the place that it is unhealthy, if you find yourself procrastinating at work, if you find yourself being paralyzed in meetings, you're second guessing, should I say this? Should I do that? And then I'd invite people, whether you work for yourself or in a company, if you think (laughs) perfection is super healthy and awesome and it's really working well in your favor at work, I invite you to reflect lightly on the other areas of your life. How's your relationship with your loved one doing? How's your self-care doing? Because more often than not, when perfectionism has overstepped its boundaries, you might be going gangbusters at work, being super successful. But is there another area of your life that is backfiring or suffering because of your perfectionism at work? Wow. Okay. So there's some things I'm definitely going to need to pay attention on because I know for me, I am someone that definitely loves the whole going all in in the workplace. But at the same time, you know, one of the things that came up as a story for myself is I remember when I first joined Mindvalley and I had ran this department, which was running the entrepreneurship division. And we had a product called Zentrepreneur. And I remember coming up with a plan on how we were going to grow this massively. And as soon as I faced a barrier. So I had a conversation with senior management. I was like, hey, this is how we could actually grow this division massively. The resistance was just saying like, hey, no, I think we're going to be going a different direction. This is not one of the key categories that we want to focus on for Mindvalley's learnings. And it's almost like I started saying like, okay, no, I didn't prepare it enough. I didn't fight for my idea. I was like, whatever. Like I became a bit of a victim in the process. And I kind of just dropped and decided to jump a different department and we kind of shut the idea and I agreed with them. And it's almost like I, I didn't even have enough of my own self-confidence or I didn't think I brought the idea to a level that it should have been to succeed automatically the approval. And it was only a year after that it, all this transition happened. We closed the books and realized that I was running the most profitable divisions of Valley. And they were like, wow, if that awareness would have been brought forward. And I kind of blame myself for it. I tell myself, oh, you know, I should have fought more for it. And I feel like that probably sticks with me. And I feel like I might not be the only person who's pursued a project. And when it failed, it kind of held me back. And how does that relate to my perfectionism? Oh, that's brilliant. There's so many nuggets in there. So the first one is, you know, especially as entrepreneurs, and when we're passionate about what we do, it's really hard to separate who we are from what we do. So when you had that idea and it wasn't, let's say, accepted, and it could just be wrong moment, wrong time, great idea. And then you have that idea a year later, it could be right moment, right idea, right time. We have no control over that. The challenge often happens with perfection. We take it personally. And it's not that the idea was shut down or let's say we make a mistake. We don't even say we make a mistake. We view it like, oh, I am the mistake. So it's that real challenge because the more you care, the more diligent we have to be around our mind and our feelings because feelings are not always facts. So you kind of have to look at like, oh, what was that thought? And maybe there was that thought, Jason, like, oh, I didn't prepare well enough. In fact, you probably prepared better than most people. You probably brought 150% to it. It just was wrong timing. 
and that's out of our control. So we go into this black or white thinking. We tend to magnify what's going wrong and we minimize what's working well. And so now you can step back and go, you know, you have all these other strengths. It was just timing. It was circumstance. There are relationships there. And this idea of failure too, we, when perfectionism is not helping us, we don't learn from failure. We get roadblocked. It's like, well, that didn't work. So I'm just going to kind of give up versus I love this acronym FAIL, first attempts in learning. We never learn from perfection. Look, there's nothing, look, and there's nothing wrong. We all want to have major successes and we all want to strive hard. We all want to go for that golden ring. I am not saying don't do that. But when we can learn to celebrate our wins and I'm not going to say celebrate our failures. I think that's overrated, but make peace with our failures and look at the data because there's data in disasters and there's research, even in the rejection. You know, so the idea was rejected. You are not rejected, but where perfectionism gets us really stuck and we can start ruminating and getting paralyzed is if someone says no to us, they're not saying no to us. They're saying no to the idea, the concept, whatever was brought up at the meeting, but we have to be really mindful that we separate who we are from what we do. Mm. I think that is, I tie a lot of my identity and I kind of had a moment of being very deflated when that didn't happen. And I didn't feel like I should fight for that idea strongly because I didn't feel like I was perfect enough. So I just gave up on it altogether. So it's almost like I give up too early because I wasn't at the level of perfection that I think it should have been. Well, I think that's really interesting. I mean, we all love Seth Golden. It's like you've got to ship it, right? <laughs> but sometimes if there's a relationship there, especially a business relationship, there is that kind of to and fro, that push and pull of how hard do I fight for this idea? And I think our intuition, the more confident we can become and the more we work in all that we are, not egoic, but we recognize our strengths and we don't ignore our gaps too, but our gaps don't define us. We use those as learning opportunities. The more comfortable we can become and recognize that we don't have to be perfect to make a difference. The idea doesn't have to be perfect to make a difference. But again, it's also timing and the energy that you're getting in that business meeting. We're pretty intuitive. And the more we can be with who we are versus who we think we should be, I think the more adept we'll become at fighting for the right ideas and then knowing when to not give up, but maybe just go, oh, not right place, not right idea, not right time yet. I love these little words afterwards. Like, I didn't know this yet. I don't know how to do this even perfectly yet. The idea wasn't accepted at this point in time. Because of these little clarifiers to take that distance between a rejection per se and then not carrying the rejection of the past into the rejections or positive life of the present and future. I love it. And so when we're talking about perfectionism, you're saying if you're taking things very personally, it'll actually start holding you back. You won't be able to show up at 100%. And again, you need to give yourself permission that it's not always going to be perfect. And when you accept that, there's a lot less hesitation. There's a lot more striving for what you really want to do and do it right. And what I wanted to lead into now here is how do I diagnose my relationship with perfectionism? Because like I said earlier, is that I felt surprised that my partner would assume that I was a perfectionist. So I feel like sometimes you'll be like, no, I'm, I'm good with perfectionism, but I'm sure there's a way of assessing where do I really stand. I love this whole podcast, like it's superhuman. You're going to be super successful, but you also want to be super happy. So there's two areas to look at. One is the relationship with yourself. 
Am I joyous? Am I excited to get up every day? Are my decisions, is my ambition driven by potential and curiosity or is my ambition driven by fear and worry? There's one right there to look at. What is fueling my best superhuman, super successful future? Because if it's driven by fear and doubt and trying to hold on and not be found out and do I think I'm an imposter, that's not going to go very long and it's not going to go well. And talk about burnout. The World Health Organization is often talking about like now it's become a symptom and a syndrome, burnout. Perfectionism can lead to burnout because we're so busy second guessing ourselves and the stress goes up and the anxiety. So there's that relationship with yourself going, you know, is my future, are my thoughts, are my decisions, are my action, are they fueled by curiosity, possibility or fear and doubt and worry? Then there's relationships with others, maybe our loved ones or even our relationships at work. You know, are you someone at work who people like? Are you easy to be around? Do you find yourself micromanaging people? Do you find yourself kind of becoming that devil's advocate? Because that's a type of perfection that sometimes shows itself up at work without us realizing. We think we're striving for the best project, the best outcome, but it's at the detriment of our team, of their ability to show up fully because if we're constantly expecting them to be perfect, and this is the other oriented type of perfection that sometimes we think we're doing it for the sake of the team, but in reality, and oftentimes it's for the sake of our ego. We look at the value of our team as determining our value. And that's never a win because people are never going to come to you with their honest thoughts, opinions, ideas. They're going to feel shut down before it even starts. We become a fault finder, a fault finder versus a benefit seeker. Look, if we want to be creative, if we want to be super successful, if we want to be superhuman, that means bringing all of ourselves to work and allowing our team to bring all of themselves to work, their faults, their flaws, their doubts, their insecurities. And if we are that leader who expects perfection of our team, you're going to shut down curiosity. You're going to shut down creativity. You're going to shut down all the unique points of view that are going to make you and your team superhuman and successful for the sake of this having the perfect team and perfect outcome. Mm. As I listen to this, I understand that when I am stepping into a place of curiosity and possibility, and this is the frame of mind that I'm approaching with my work and with my team, things seem to be going really well. And if I'm listening to this and I'm like, yeah, this is doing well, this is pretty much where I stand, then I am good to go. I think it'll be good to kind of step into the fact that, well, what if I'm not there? What if I am in this space of fear? Am I doomed? What do I do next? Like, how do I start? Is it something that I can shift out of individually or is it a circumstance I need to change externally? I love that question because I think fear stops us in so many areas of our lives related to perfection or otherwise. So no, you're not doomed. <laughs> Feelings are not facts. And here's how I like to reframe fear. Pema Chodron first said this, fear is a sign you're getting closer to your truth. So if we reframe it from the positive, fear means that you care. Fear means that you're about to do something big, bold, and magnificent. Fear is a sign that you're alive, but fear too can overstep its boundaries. So people often ask me, hey, so when do I do it scared? Everyone says, do it scared. And so it's when we can separate ourselves from our thoughts and our feelings and our actions. So the first thing I invite people to do, like just say you are in this place, like, you know what? 
I am just terrified of being found out. I feel like a fraud. I'm a leader, and I don't know if I even deserve to be there. Here's the good news. 70% of us feel that way some of the time. Probably the very hero that you look up to, whoever that might be, also feels like an imposter. And here's the thing. If you're doing something new, you're going to feel like an imposter because you've never done it before. So it's not that it's this or that, it's this and that. So how do we feel like an imposter and how do we say yes before we think we're ready? I think it's reframing these feelings that we feel. The challenging thing is it's part of our genetic makeup. So we can understand that fear is just trying to protect us keep us safe. It's a part of that reptilian brain that's been with us for 600 million years. And the challenge is it's the fastest one to fire up when we're in a challenging situation. So can we reframe this challenge from one of being a threat that's going to prove that we're not worthy to the challenge of being an opportunity to show that we are ready? So outside circumstances are often outside of our control. But how can we prime our thought process to tap into first our strengths that brought us to this moment in time and then look at the gaps that we probably often have? And those are the gaps you're going to feel like an imposter. For me, it's technology. So I have to learn technology. Every day, technology is changing. So I just throw up my hands and go, see, you know, I know I'm not smart enough. Or do I dig in and learn based on my curiosity and creativity? Maybe there's something at work that you're going to do for the first time that you've not done before. Yes, you're going to feel like an imposter today. But here's the thing. Confidence, as we know, shows up in action. We can't wait to feel confident, especially if we only act and do things where we never feel afraid and we always feel confident. What a boring place to live. Because if you want to be superhuman, you're going to have to stretch your courage. You're going to have to challenge yourself. So I always say, look, if you never feel afraid, if you never feel like an imposter, if you've never checked in and you never felt like a lack of confidence, you're not stretching yourself. And then what do we do with those feelings, those thoughts, those ideas, their stories? We just have to turn that positive lens and look that the things that we don't know yet are things we can learn. The strengths we have of our past, we can bring into the unknown of the present and the future. And again, fear is just a sign that you're about to do something that you really care about. And if you didn't care, you wouldn't be feeling afraid. And it's a sign that you are stretching yourself and probably the very people you're working with, you're stretching the team and the vision. And that's how you become a team that's super successful and people have their eye on because you're taking that unique idea, you're taking that fear and you're running with it versus letting it paralyze you and look what everybody else is doing. That's really interesting because most people are looking at fear and it's something that, oh, I should just try to get rid of it. And then you have this whole imposter syndrome that you highlight, which you feel like, oh, I must be the only one that faces this. And it's really what you talk about in the book, which is all about this idea of like self-acceptance of the process. I'm just thinking right now because I just started a journey to write a book. And for that, I'm already having those kinds of ideas. But I realized that just like you explained is, yeah, it is not something I've done before. It is something that makes me a little scared. Am I worthy of this? How do you start? But it's almost like that beginner's mind should accept that these are all going to come across. And that seems to take a lot of pressure off. 
Yeah, I love the beginner's mind. You know, it's this idea of I want to do this versus I should be doing this. You know, if we started living up to what I should be writing perfectly already before I even know how to write. I should be doing the perfect podcast. I should have, oh my gosh, like we said, shooting all over ourselves. But I love this idea of fear. I think the challenge is, Jason, when we think that to be successful We can only show our highlight reel. And this is where social media comes into play. You know, we see all the other people's overnight, in air quotes, success. Because what social media and the online stories and the videos that we're sharing about our company, it's not sharing the 10,000, the late nights, all the failures that got us to this moment, you know, our highlight moment that we're sharing with the world. But when we don't own our fear... When we don't look at fear, when we don't look at our doubts and we put them in a box because we don't think that's a part of success, what you don't own will own you. Instead of accepting the fear and looking at it going, is this fear trying to teach me something or is this fear overstepping its boundaries? And that's when we have to kind of separate who we are from what we do. For example, I'm just trying to think of an example. So I learned to DJ recently. And I had this deep fear. I also had like six months out, I was going to be DJing a VIP party for 500 people. So there was a real fear there because I cared about the event. I wanted to show up well. My ego was involved. These people knew me. And there was two types of fear going on. One was the fear of not knowing what I was doing. That's kind of real. That was, I needed to fill in those gaps. I needed to do that 100 hours. I needed to research online. I needed to go down to Washington and study with a mentor. That fear was teaching me. It was saying, you are not ready yet. There is more work to do. There is more effort to put in. There is more research. That was a really teachable moment. And then there was the fear of like, what happens if I make a mistake? What happens if I don't play the perfect set? Well, anything worth doing and when you're in the moment and you're in relationship, whether it's a conversation at work, whether it's DJing for a VIP party, if I came in, and this really is, this is something to think about if you're a manager or a leader at work, or even if you're leading yourself, if we come in with everything planned so tightly, so we never make an error, there is no room for a relationship with the other people at home or at work, because you've controlled the situation so well, it can't be organic. And so the week before I was about to DJ, I went to show my mentor and I had perfected everything, Jason. I had gotten every intro and outro and beat, but it was all rooted in fear, a fear-based DJ, and you don't get to do that. And my mentor basically said, okay, great. I played two songs, go stop. I thought he was going to say, amazing job, you know, because it was perfect. He went, no, go and remix those two songs a different way. And I didn't know how to do it. I freaked out because perfection doesn't allow room for creativity, spontaneity, going with what is versus what we want it to be. And at that moment, there was a different fear coming up because it was just like, whoa, everything I thought you know, and I wrote a book on it. I did a TEDx talk on it, but I had forgotten. Perfect wasn't helping me in that moment. It was actually separating me for being the best that I could be. So anyway, long story short, it will show itself up. There's times when fear will teach you that, no, you're not ready yet. And there's time when fear will paralyze you because it's a false fear of what people are thinking. I should be this. I need to be perfect. So hopefully that that story will help a little bit. There's two things I picked up from this is that for one, I actually start to see that this idea of perfectionism seems to be very much rooted in this fear of not being in control. 
And I think this is exactly where I started kind of self-diagnosing myself around this because the word perfectionism didn't ring with me as much. But what I do know is that I am someone that is so looking to have discipline and control over everything around in my life that I want to have predictability. But it's also dehumanizing me a little because I don't get to be present with people because I'm always calculating. That's good. That's really good. This is not about not going for excellence. This is not about striving. This is not about not trying to be superhuman. It's all of that and how you feel about what it is that you're doing. Can you be fully present in the moment? Because perfectionism doesn't exist in the present moment. When we're striving from unhealthy perfection, we're either rooted in things or mistakes of our past or we're worrying about things that haven't happened yet in our future. And that separates us not only from the experience that we can be having now and bringing our full focused, deep awareness to this moment. And that's actually going to make you more successful because the more focused you can be and the less you're worrying about what was and what could be, the more able you are to deal with what is versus react to what could be. And then we get to also have to disconnect from the things that we really care about. So when you're at work, be all in at work. But then when you're not at work and you're in relationship, be all in relationship. And this is where the thing about perfectionism gets really gray. When someone believes, you know, I'm striving to be perfect at work and it's really fantastic. But I'm like, really? Can you let go of that then and be present with your loved one? Or are you constantly on the phone fixing problems from work or trying to be two steps ahead for tomorrow? It's a fine balance. And I'm just going to say there's going to be moments of your life when you do need to be all in at work. But then you have to have that moment when you can give all in with your relationships too. So I don't believe in balance. I believe it's like spinning plates. But with perfection, you're going to drop a plate and you just pick it up. You know, you just do the best you can with what you have. But kind of taking a breath every so often, checking in with where am I? Am I here? Because perfection will have us worrying about what happened at work. We bring that to our relationship at home. Or we're at our relationship at home and we're worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. So wherever you are, be all there and be excellent and super and amazing in that moment. And then when you're in relationship or so in every moment, whatever that is, bring all of you, the best of you, but then let it go when you've done the work that needs to be done. I love it. So this whole letting go of this control is super important in the process and just being more present brings it all home together. And then the second thing I had noticed while you were talking about your DJ experience is that it seems like you've deliberately chosen to bring yourself into an area that would push the boundaries, that would make you realize that you would do something that isn't going to be perfect. It's something new. Is this an effective way of kind of working through this perfectionist call it issue, if it is one for you, is to continuously bring yourself into these situations that you get to be a beginner again? And is there other tools that we should be using to nurture this skill of detoxing from perfectionism and showing up in the best way? I wasn't anticipating of using my DJ experience as a learning lesson, but isn't that what life is? I mean, life just teaches us what we need to remember. And I do think, I always say, you learn it to teach it, you live it to preach it. And what it was, it just was another reminder, like, so here's the thing with perfection and confidence and all of this yummy stuff that when we can look at it through the lens of self-acceptance and compassion, we get to learn from it. Because the more you make friends with yourself, 
And the more you stretch yourself at work and the more you put perfection on the back seat and you let curiosity and potential step into the driver's seat, the more successful you're going to be. And the more successful you are, the different challenges will show up. So I often say perfection doesn't always go away. She'll just show up or he'll show up in different arenas. So for example, when I was a fitness expert, my Achilles heel was, I thought I needed to be smarter. Now, as I started DJing and I go into this new part of my career, which is constantly evolving, my perfectionism, I don't care about being the smartest person in the room. In fact, if I am the smartest person in the room, I want to get into a different room. That doesn't bother me anymore. But my Achilles heel, Jason, if I'm being completely honest, is like, oh, I should be younger. So as a DJ, oh, should I be younger? As a thought leader, should I be younger? No one's ever said that to me. But this is where perfectionism oversteps its boundaries. These old stories of, you know, what you think you should be to be a speaker, a DJ, a thought leader. And it's crazy and it's not crazy. But when I can recognize those thoughts as just thoughts, separate them from the feelings, go, okay, is this thought of being too old helping me? No. It's a bloody waste of time. It's time that's taking me away from the work I want to be doing. So I think it's just looking into this idea of what your er is. I should be smarter. I should be younger. I should be sexier. I should be funnier. I should be whatever it is. I call it your er. What is it really trying to teach you? Is it teaching you or is it hurting you? Is it helping you close the gap on where you are and where you want to be? Or is it actually widening the gap? Because when we get into these self-doubts, it's spinning time and it's spinning time that we are not putting towards our best self, our best work, our best future, and then sharing our best self and our work and our future with the world. Petra, thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing these ideas around perfectionism. What I want everybody to understand is when you are someone that just strives for this perfect idea, this perfect image, you're holding back a lot of your potential. There's a lot of hesitation, freeze moments that can come across, and it all has to do with this inner critic that we have in ourselves. And so if you want to go on this journey to detox this perfection, you have to understand that ideas like imposter syndrome and the ideas of feeling that you're supposed to know everything, especially when you start something new, is is unrealistic as an expectation. There's a lot of self-acceptance work that needs to be done here, and how that looks for you is going to be different from someone else, but what you want to recall and remember from this conversation is that you can practice this by having that self-acceptance and looking at those situations that you can be a beginner again and go through the ropes of learning a new skill and going through it and knowing that it's not going to be perfect, and you're going to see these conversations that come up with yourself and how you can look at them, not judge them, accept them, will make you be able to move forward with projects and ideas in the workplace with a lot less hesitation, a lot more presentation to the people that can give you the right feedback and knowing that even if it's not perfect, you're always going to strive for better and better is the best that you can strive for in the workplace. And so as you bring in these ideas from the Perfection Detox, we want to make sure that everybody listening knows that no one expects perfectionism from you. And if you're going into the workplace doing your best and accepting that everything is going to be a learning journey, you will show up more of you, contribute more to the company, more to your own growth, and really make the impact that you've been looking to do from the start of your journey into your career. 
Petra, thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing these ideas. If you haven't picked up the book of The Perfection Detox, pick it up to get even more ideas if you have realized that you might be one of these people that's really having a relationship with perfectionism and control that you might want to revisit and improve. I know for me, this is something I need to look at that goes beyond the workplace because obviously you can apply these concepts much beyond what you do in the work, but definitely in your relationships and everywhere else in your life. So everybody on the call here, thank you so much for tuning in and until next time. Hey, everybody, thanks for tuning in to this amazing episode where we talked about perfectionism and how to detox from this thing that usually looks good on the outside, but really is holding you back. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review and comments on what you particularly liked so that we can continue to bring these ideas to you completely commercial free. And if you know one of your friends or colleagues that might be looking to have a detox in the realm of perfectionism, definitely share this episode. As we grow this community of people that are striving for superhuman at work, this has been your host, Jason. Campbell. Thanks again for tuning in and until next time. My name is Jason Campbell and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.